0: As COVID-19 continues to keep us away from each other, there is some hope our social distancing is working.
1: I am really happy to see the curve going down and I am feeling somewhat relieved about it. Um, The problem is, as soon as we go back out again, the virus is still out there and that, that curve's gonna go right back up unless we totally block transmission.
0: Leading the experts to say, now is not a time to stop taking precautions.
1: If we're not careful, we can transmit it to other people and you know, potentially kill them. So we need to take responsibility and be careful not to transmit this virus.
0: Which means we could still be in for the long haul.
1: A lot of people have hopes that the virus will disappear as it warms up because sometimes viruses do that. Certainly influenza goes down in spring. but. The more data I've seen, I'm not sure it's
0: going to go away in spring or summer. I'm Rich Klindworth, and we talk again with our coronavirus expert to keep you informed in episode 10 of Talk Like a Pirate. And we're joined now with Dr. Rachel Roper, who is an associate professor of microbiology and immunology at ECU's Brody School of Medicine. Her specialties are virology, genomics, and vaccines. Dr. Roper, thanks for joining us again.
1: Happy to be with you.
0: One thing that we're going to do a little bit different here is we have a little bit of a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode of Talk Like a Pirate in that we are recording this on Tuesday morning, April the 7th at 9.30, because the way this ever-evolving situation is, some of the stuff that we talk about right now might be outdated by the time someone listens to this a week or two from now or a couple months from now. So... In this type of situation, Dr. Roper, is that unusual that information just keeps changing? It seems like sometimes it changes from morning to afternoon.
1: Yes. Well, this is a brand new virus. You know, we have not seen this virus before and we are learning about it uh, day by day. So, yeah, it's true. It is a rapidly changing uh, situation.
0: You were involved in the SARS outbreak back in 2002. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: I was part of the team that first isolated and identified, sequenced, and analyzed the SARS coronavirus genome. SARS stands for Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome and um, so we worked on that virus and identified the genome, sequenced the genome, and then we could identify that it was a coronavirus, belonged to the coronavirus family, and also we could look at the proteins that were being made by the virus. You can deduce that from the genome sequence. And then we we used those sequences to make vaccines that would be likely to work that would hopefully work to protect against the virus against different viral proteins and we tried a couple of those different strategies as vaccines in animals first we did in mice and then we also did in ferrets and ferrets are often used as a lung model um, in influenza So we were able to actually infect the ferrets with the coronavirus and for both of the um, vaccines, for both of the animal models, we were able to show that we could get a a good immune response from those vaccines in both of the animal models. The worrying thing was that we couldn't get perfect protection, even when we vaccinated the, the ferrets and then gave them a boost before they got challenged with the virus, there was still damage organ damage um, in the animals, so this may be a difficult virus to make a a strong vaccine against.
0: You mean the coronavirus or COVID-19? Yes. How long did that take you all to develop that vaccine with SARS?
1: So I was part uh, at the time I was in British Columbia and we had a British Columbia SARS accelerated vaccine initiative. So the government put millions of dollars into this rapid response. Um, so we had a team, uh, a number, a large number of scientists working in, in Canada and in the U.S. Um, to come up with these different vaccines and then to try them in these animal models. Um, for, for the vaccines for biosafety level three, um, it's very high containment. Um, you have to have uh, you know very strict uh, careful uh, facilities and procedures to even be able to grow the virus and then testing them in animals is also very difficult and requires high containment.
0: Was it months, years?
1: Yeah, um, we got we got the tests. You know, within a few months, we were able to come up with the actual vaccine materials that were large enough to try in a small animal trial. So we could do that fairly quickly. Um, So the first thing you do is you put your vaccines, potential vaccines, into small animals um, and you look for any uh, problems that there might be with safety. So you would look to see if the animals get sick just from the vaccine because not all vaccine preparations would necessarily be safe. So you look for safety, look for any signs of illness in the animals. And then once you're fairly confident that it's safe in the animals, then you can test for efficacy. So you vaccinate the animals or maybe boost them also. And then you come in and challenge them with the dangerous virulent virus. And you compare that to a control group that did not receive the vaccine to see how much protection you can actually get from the vaccine. Uh, from the disease
0: so how realistic is it for us to have an expectation that we would have a vaccine within the next year for this COVID 19?
1: Yeah, uh, so certainly there's an accelerated, you know, there's a big push to get this going as fast as possible because it is so dangerous to humans um, and affecting the whole world. So we can push things, you know, fast, but you, you don't want to skip the steps where you look at safety and efficacy. First, you want to look at safety and efficacy in animals and hopefully a couple different animal models. And then you're going to go into humans in small uh, numbers to make sure that the safety is a okay. Okay, And then um, what will happen most likely in this case, and, and what was done in Ebola, is you give the vaccine to people who um, may come in contact with the disease, so they get a natural challenge just from walking around in society. And then you compare groups that are vaccinated and not vaccinated to see if the vaccine is actually providing protection to humans from the virus. And of course, this whole time, you're still watching the safety in humans to make sure that the vaccine is safe as
0: well. I don't know if you have any information on this, but it was reported, I guess a week or two ago, that some people had been given an experimental vaccine. Have you heard anything on how that is working?
1: Yes. Well, the National Institutes of Health began a trial with an RNA vaccine, I believe. So, And that is, is I believe, ongoing now. There are no data back from it yet. The problem is you have to have enough people involved so that you have a control group and you can tell the difference between um, the vaccine group and the control group. So that means a large enough number of people have to catch the virus. That might take a while to get numbers high enough where they can tell a difference between the vaccine and unvaccinated group for who got sick and who didn't.
0: People seem to be getting frustrated with the facts right now. Of what is going on because things like we had um, mentioned before things are changing from morning to afternoon first we were told do not wear masks it's a waste of money now we're being told we should wear some sort of cover-up in public what do you say on this topic
1: yes well back we we did the podcast back in January and I actually said masks would give you some protection and I, I think we, we all knew that I, a, a normal mask that a you know a normal person would make to walk around in public like they're making today will not protect you 100%, and it wouldn't protect you if you were working in an environment with a patient aerosolizing and giving off a lot of virus. Um, it wouldn't be protective. But... If you're at a lower concentration of virus, at a lower risk, um, and the materials that people are using out in the public today to make masks are probably good enough to catch large droplets or or the larger droplets, but the really tiny aerosolized particles, the masks probably would not protect you from. The N95 masks that healthcare workers use and researchers use um, can uh, very efficiently filter out uh, even the tiniest virus particles—it's not 100 percent still, but um, they're very good. So any mask is better than no mask. But it, to really be protected, you'd have to have a high-quality N95 mask, which is not available to the public now. We don't want to be competing with healthcare workers who need these N95 masks. But having you know some mask covering your face, um, especially if someone. Uh, is, is infected, the mask will keep them from spreading the virus so much, um, spewing it all over, you know, when they breathe or talk or certainly if they cough, there would be a lot of virus released. So the mask will keep the person from giving off a lot of virus, but it will also provide some protection to people walking around um, who might come near someone who's exhaling uh, and releasing virus particles. So people really now the recommendations are to wear some sort of mask um, if you're out in public, especially in an enclosed space. Like if you're in a store, you really should wear a mask, some sort of covering over your face now.
0: And is that especially important? Because from what I've been hearing that there's a and I thought a relatively high percentage of people who will have COVID-19 and never know it
1: so that's the really good news it's really good news in the in the fact that those people will get the virus and get infected they don't get sick which is really nice for them and they will develop an immune response to the virus and they'll probably be protected you know, forever. They're not going to get sick from this virus. So that's the really good news is that there are people who are going to get this and not get sick. The bad news side of this is that they can be walking around not knowing they're sick and they can be spreading the virus to people who are susceptible and can die from the virus. So that's the danger. And that's one of the reasons that um, health recommendations have changed um, with recognition that that's happening much more than we had had previously recognized. And so they want people to everyone to wear masks in case you're infected. You could be spreading it to others who could die from the virus.
0: So do you know what that percentage is?
1: No. And and that's that's something we may not know for for a few years Um, Right now, the whole system is struggling to be able to even test really important cases to find out if the person has it or not. Um, you know, like when they're admitting someone to the hospital, they need to know whether or not this person has um, SARS-2 COVID-19 or if they have something else. They really need to know that. So, right now, we're struggling even to test those people. So, testing people that are asymptomatic, that don't have symptoms, is way down the line of priorities. Our healthcare system is really struggling to keep people alive right now. So, um when Once we get through this, um, we will have some time and energy. Um, there will be tests available to identify whoever has been infected. So you'll be able to test for antibodies in the blood of people that were asymptomatic or had mild symptoms. And then we'll know how many people actually got infected versus how many people really got sick from the virus.
0: Do you have any idea on the timeline on when those antibody tests will be available to the public?
1: I think that they, we currently have them. Um, frankly, any research lab could, could really do it. The problem with this kind of a test is that you have to have it validated. You have to make sure it's accurate, that it really works, and that it doesn't cross-react with other coronaviruses that circulate. There are some other coronaviruses that circulate around the world that do not cause disease. So you'd want to make sure that you actually have, that you're detecting antibodies to the SARS-2 COVID virus and not to some other harmless coronavirus. So you have to validate the test. So right now, with the labs being so busy trying to just process um, the most important, uh, crucial tests that we have to do right now, um, they're not going to have time to be doing these other tests. They're, they're available now, but we don't have the, the personnel and the resources that we can dedicate to that because that's such a lower priority um, question when right now we're trying to identify people, save people's lives and keep that virus from transmitting, um, more in the healthcare settings. They want, you know, if somebody comes in with flu into the hospital, you don't want to put them in the same room or same area with someone that's got SARS-2 COVID-19, um, because then the person with flu could get the coronavirus and, um, you know, could kill them. So you want to keep those patients separate. So we really need to diagnose patients right now who are coming in with serious illness. And later, when we have time and energy and resources and people, we can start looking at um, at serum antibodies to see who got the virus in the past.
0: So getting back to going out in public, at some point we all have to go to the grocery store. So. Should we wear anything else other than the mask? Should we be wearing gloves, that sort of thing? Because you and I had talked before we did this podcast that you should anticipate that everything is contaminated. How do we react to that?
1: So the first thing is go to the grocery store or any store very infrequently. Certainly not more than once a week, you know, if you can do it, do once every two weeks, like plan ahead, have a list, be ready, go in, get what you need and get out. So that's one of the things don't go very often. And when you do go in and get out as fast as you can, you should wear a mask. When you go in there, because you're going to be around people in an enclosed space, and it's a way that you really could get um, exposed to it. So really, you should treat everyone as if they're infectious and treat everything outside of your home as if it's contaminated. So the shopping cart, the door handle, all the stuff you touch in the grocery store, you should assume is contaminated with virus because it may well be. So people want to wear gloves, and, but that's not really going to protect the normal person very much because you don't absorb virus through your skin. You don't need to wear gloves, uh, so you should you know, get your shopping done, come outside. Hopefully you will have uh, hand sanitizer in your car. And you can, you know, and while you're in the store, don't touch your face, right? Go to your car, get the hand sanitizer, carefully hand, you know, sanitize your hands. Make sure you keep it wet for long enough. You should be on there for 20 seconds wet, you know. Don't, don't immediately wipe it off with a paper towel. And then your hands are probably going to be, you know, pretty clean. And then you can actually take your face mask off. But you always want to be careful not to touch the inside of your face mask. Then you can go home. Uh, wash your hands of soap and water, then unload the groceries, and then wash your hands again. Some people are being super careful and, you know, because any package you bring home could have virus on it. But the virus isn't going to be high concentration and it's not going to live forever. So it's fairly low uh, contamination concern. So wearing gloves is really important if you're working in a lab or with a patient who's got huge quantities of virus coming out of their bodies And then you can take the gloves off. But really for a person going to the grocery store, you don't really need the gloves. As long as you've got hand sanitizer and you can wash your hands um, when you get home.
0: And is that the same way with like packages in the mail or your Amazon or other shipments like that?
1: Yeah, anything that, that comes into your house or is coming from the outside could be contaminated. One of the simple things you can do with your mail is just leave it in the mailbox for a day before you go get it. You know, the virus is going to slowly die over time, especially if your mailbox is in the sun and it gets heated up. That's going to uh, inactivate the virus as well. Packages, you could leave them out in the sun depending on what it is. You know, turn it over, let, let, all the, let the sun get all the different sides of it. Um, and then when you open things, you can keep them low. You Don't hold things up near your face and make a lot of air currents that would uh, allow the virus to come off of the surface and waft up into the air where you might breathe it in. So keeping, you know, and you can open packages outside. You know, a lot of people are opening things on the porch and then only bring the clean things inside. And, uh, again, wash your hands. The virus can survive on, on items for probably for days. Of course, over time, you know, every day there's less virus, or every hours there's less virus, so there's some danger, but less over time.
0: That has me, someone who's a germaphobe, just constantly washing my hands and making sure, or handling like a cereal box as if it is uh, something that is highly contaminated in a lab.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, ho- you know, hopefully, well, we don't think that that we think those things are fairly low risk. But, you know, we have community transmission all over the nation now. And community transmission means you got the virus, but you don't know how you got it. You didn't travel to any place that had a high outbreak. You don't know anybody who had it, but still you got it. So the question is, you know, how did those people get it? Walking by somebody in the store, touching something in the store, we really don't know. So we know we have to be careful, but, you know, you have to balance that against, you know, being totally crazy and uh, not being able to, you know, do normal activities in your day.
0: Again, we are recording this on April 7th, 2020 at 9.30ish in the morning. It's beyond 9.30 right now. But I was watching the news this morning. There was some good news. The curve seems to be flattening a little bit. Are we seeing the flattening of the curve from what you've seen? Is that some optimism? I
1: think it, it's really wonderful that we are seeing decreases in cases. Um, that shows that the social distancing does work. If people stay home and stay away from other people, you're not going to be able to spread the virus and we're going to have fewer cases. And that's wonderful. Um The virus needs to do two things to survive in nature it needs to replicate and it needs to spread to a new host a new human being so if we can block that transmission we can fight the virus and the data we have now shows that that's working the physical distancing between people and getting people to stay at home does work and that can save us and that can save lives um you've got to think about if if you have an outbreak in your community, you're not going to know till two weeks later when people start getting hospitalized and dying, right? So, you know, you say, so like at Mardi Gras, you know, they decided to go ahead and hold Mardi Gras because they didn't have that many cases. Well, look what happens. You know, a month later, you have a huge outbreak, lots of deaths. So you're not going to know necessarily that it's circulating at a high level in your community until weeks later, And then it's too late, and everyone has it. So we really have to be careful. And, you know, some people think it's safe to go to church, but there are a number of cases. Like there was one church in California that's got more than 70 cases because they went to church. And then in South Korea, there was that church that had had so many cases as well. So you may, you know, think that you're safe, but you go someplace with other people and you find out that that it's not safe. There is transmission. But you're not going to know until two weeks, three weeks later when people are in the hospital and dying. So we really need to be careful and assume that, you know, that there is community spread, there is virus out there. and We need to be careful and protect ourselves and protect other people. If we're not careful, we can transmit it to other people and you know potentially kill them. So we need to take responsibility and be careful not to transmit this virus.
0: Does it give us a little bit of a false sense of security, the fact that the curve is starting to go down a little bit, flatten out a little bit, that maybe people are going to be like, oh, see, it wasn't that big of a deal anyway?
1: Yeah, I am really happy to see the curve going down, and I am feeling somewhat relieved about it. Um, the problem is, as soon as we go back out again, the virus is still out there, and that, that curve is going to go right back up unless we totally block transmission and get it down to almost nothing, where you know the, the health professionals can go in and identify every case, test every case, and then be able to isolate the pers- anybody who's got it, and then contact trace, identify anybody that they've come in contact with, and quarantine those people, absolutely quarantine them. Um, and that's the only way we could actually stop transmission. And I think we may be too late to do that in the U.S. It's too widespread. So the problem is, is the virus is going to be circulating. And as soon as people go back out there, they're going to get it. And that curve is going to go back up again. Um, The idea of flattening the curve is so that not everyone would get sick at once so that we wouldn't completely overwhelm the hospitals and have a lot of deaths because there's not enough equipment like ventilators or personnel even to try and keep people alive. But flattening the curve also means you're going to stretch out the contagion, the time uh, that people are getting the virus. So it's going to be longer, which should overall benefit and keep people more people alive. But that means the outbreak is going to be going on for longer.
0: And that brings us to the sports, because the NFL is hoping to be able to do things the way they had, same way with college football, being that they're fall end of or end of August uh, beginning of September Major League Baseball is throwing around that they could be play possibly playing in May just all the teams and only the teams playing without anybody in the stands in Phoenix Arizona I saw a report that the PGA has pushed back the US Open and the masters until the fall as well so when they're talking about doing this stuff, Could we, once this stuff starts rolling out, these small things, could we legitimately see it peak back up or will they have to just do these things without spectators?
1: I think if you get a large group of people together that you're gonna have virus transmission, unless we get this down to the point where you can contact Trace Every person and isolate and quarantine. It's going to be circulating, and as long as it's circulating, it's going to be putting people in the hospital and killing people. So I'm certainly not going to go to any events where there are a number of other people. And even if you if you have sports people playing um, games, you know they're going to be in locker rooms. They're going to be next to each other. You know, in a football huddle. Um, you know, you're not going to have the six foot um, distance or the masks that would make it safer. So these sports people are going to end up catching the virus and some of them will die. Um, I think you know some people are, are have a misperception that it's only older people that are in danger from this virus, but almost half of the cases are between you know are less than age 50. Half of them that are hospitalized. So this is very serious for younger people as well.
0: And that's what's so wild with this thing, that you have such extremes with this. You have people that have it, and they will never know it, and they'll be fine. And then you have other people that I've seen, like a marathon runner gets it, is a rather relatively young person, and they die.
1: Yeah, genetics make a big difference. Um, You know, the... People are different genetically, and different people are going to have different susceptibility to the virus. Um, You know, you can – overall, health is important, and so everyone should make sure, you know, they get good food and, you know, nutrition and enough sleep and healthy exercise. So everyone should take care of themselves. But if you're genetically susceptible to the virus, you know – It's not going to protect you to drink extra water or take extra vitamin C. So some people are susceptible and some are much less susceptible, and that's probably a genetic difference. Um, The same way we see with other viruses, some people are genetically resistant and some are not.
0: In your best estimation with your experience with all this, what would be a realistic likelihood that our lives would go back to normal?
1: The question is how many fewer people will there be in the U.S. when that happens? Um, Are we going to have 100,000 deaths? Are we going to have a million deaths? We don't know that now. And, you know, hopefully a vaccine will be developed relatively quickly, but that still looks like a year. I think, you know, a lot of people have hopes that the virus will disappear as it warms up because sometimes viruses do that. Certainly influenza goes down um, in spring um, and typically does it still circulates in the summer, but it's at pretty low quantities. So I think people are hoping that will happen with this coronavirus. I was certainly hoping that, but the more data I've seen, I'm not sure it's going to go away in spring or summer because right now it's circulating in the Southern hemisphere and it's also transmitting, circulating in, in equatorial regions that are warm and humid. So I'm afraid it may not go away in summer. And then, of course, it may. There still could be a resurgence in fall, where cases, case numbers go go up quite a bit again. So, yeah, I'm worried, and that's something that we don't know the full story on yet, and we won't know for months.
0: Looking into the future, you know, six months from now, do you think will the majority of us will be back to work out in the public?
1: Oh, I wish I had a crystal ball. I don't know. I don't know. We have to get the testing out to see that people have had it and survived it, and then those people could go back to work safely. We just don't know.
0: With a virus like this, what could the potential lifespan of it be? Would it be a year or two, or is this something that could just be around for years to come until we get a vaccine?
1: I think this virus will be around for, for years. I think it's, it has spread worldwide. With SARS-1, we were actually able to catch it. We did contact tracing with every single person. We were able to actually block transmission, and we stopped it. It exists in labs, in freezers, in labs. Well, it may be growing in labs, but, um, but it's no longer in the wild. We actually caught it. That's not going to happen with this virus, with SARS-2, COVID-19. It's already out there. It's already circulating too widely. It's going to be endemic now. So we're going to have to have a vaccine for it. Um, You know, as it sweeps through the population, if everybody gets it, it will kill all the susceptible people. And then the people that are resistant to it will be okay, and society will go on. Life will go on. But there's a lot of people that are going to die. Um, without getting the vaccine and, and blocking the transmission. So one of the other things that, that I'm really worried about is being, this virus being transmitted to animals. So we know that these viruses circulate between different animals, and we know that these viruses can jump into humans. There's no reason that humans can't transmit this to animals. And then the animals can be a reservoir and transmit it back to humans. So, And we've already seen this. I think there was a dog in England that was confirmed to have it or believed to have it. They tested it. And now we have tigers in, in New York that have it. So they probably caught it from one of the keepers and several of the tigers are sick. One of them was confirmed to have the virus. So anybody's cat or dog or bird or you know the rat, the rat that's running by um, could pick up the virus and we will have it um, in animals as well as in humans.
0: Well, what's the difference then between this coronavirus and then others?
1: So coronaviruses are a big family of viruses. And there have been um, several coronaviruses that circulate in humans and just cause the common cold. Um, so no one was ever really that concerned with them or interested in them until the big SARS outbreak in 2002, 2003, with that one that killed a lot of people. Um, So, yeah, it depends on, on the actual virus, you know, genome, the actual virus, how virulent it is, how transmissible it is. And this virus, unfortunately, is both highly virulent and highly transmissible. So it's easy to catch and it can kill a lot of people.
0: So one of the things that I have thought and other people have thought as well is that we were all sick in December, really bad, December, January with didn't have the flu but had something that was respiratory included a fever is there any chance that we already had it back in December November December January
1: my answer to that is no First of all, there are thousands and thousands of respiratory viruses. And many of them, you know, give you a fever and a cough and can make you really sick. And um, it wouldn't be influenza, it would be some other virus. And this happens every year. People get the flu shot and then they get really sick and they think they had influenza. They didn't. They had some other virus. If it had been circulating in Greenville in November or in December or January, uh, You know, three weeks, four weeks later, there would have been a large number of hospitalizations and a large number of deaths. You know, there's going to be a delay of two to three weeks from when it's circulating to when you see hospitalizations and deaths. And so we have not seen that here. So it was not circulating here at high quantities, you know, three weeks or a month or two months ago.
0: The flu every year can kill up to 80,000 Americans. So we know that it's deadly and some people are more susceptible than others to it. Can you compare this to the flu at all?
1: Yes, they're completely different virus groups, but um, they can both cause significant fatality in humans. One thing with the influenza viruses that cause flu, they change large segments of their genome material almost every year. Um, So they circulate in in birds and in pigs and in humans. And as it's circulating through these different populations and there's lots of different flu viruses out there, they can pick up whole new pieces of genome. And um, so it changes them dramatically. And that's why we have to have a new vaccine every year for influenza, because it changes so rapidly. Coronaviruses don't do that. They don't have these frequent changes of large genome pieces. So they still can make recombinants with multiple different viruses, which is probably what this virus is. Um, But they're not going to change as rapidly as flu. So I think it's going to be possible to make a vaccine that should work for years, I think. Um, You know, we can't predict, of course. uh, But this one should, should should be better. The other thing is with influenza, we have vaccines that are fairly effective, uh, and we have drugs that actually work against uh, the virus. For this new coronavirus, currently, we have no vaccine and no treatment. There are no drugs that actually have any um, efficacy that, that protect humans from the disease. There are some in trials right now. And there's one of them, remdesivir, that might actually work, um, but we don't have the data on that yet. The problem is you've got someone who's sick with a virus. If you give them a drug, that drug could be safe in healthy people, but it might actually make somebody with a virus even sicker because these people that are getting COVID-19 have problems with their organ functioning because they're very sick. So then if you give them a drug, you can actually make them more sick it could have higher toxicity in them because their system's already compromised so we just don't know yet if we will have any drugs hopefully we'll know in a month or two we'll have some more data on whether or not any of these drugs actually work to protect humans
0: do you know what the death rate is the seasonal flu compared to this
1: this is much higher yeah there are so there's still debates about this, and so to know the actual death rate, you have to know the number of people that actually end up dying over the number of people who actually got the virus. And as we've been talking about, there are a lot of people that don't have symptoms and haven't been tested, and also so we don't know uh, you know the the number of people that have gotten the virus, and also because people are still dying, we don't know the death rate. so it's hard to get an exact number. Um, And we probably won't uh, have that for for months to come, actually, uh, a real death rate. But certainly this is killing people at a higher rate than influenza or or the the recent influenza. Certainly the, you know, uh, big uh, pandemic 1918 to 1920 uh, killed a tremendous number of people. That influenza pandemic did. But in recent years, we haven't had any really horrible uh, influenza pandemics.
0: What kind of final thoughts do you have on this? Is there hope?
1: Yes, there's definitely hope. A lot of people are getting the virus and not getting very sick from it, so that's really good news. But one of the things that we wanna make sure that the public is careful about is not to touch the inside of your face mask. You shouldn't even consider it safe after you've washed your hands to touch the inside because you're probably touching the outside of the face mask at the same time and you don't wanna move something from the outside of the face mask to the inside of the face mask. Um, So just don't touch the inside of your face mask.
0: And actually, that brings up uh, another thing. When you wash your clothes or you wash these cover-ups that you put on your face, does that kill the virus?
1: Yes, we think that it will be um, pretty easy to inactivate or kill the virus particle with soap. It has a membrane around it, and soap is is pretty good at uh, disrupting those membranes. So um, it, it should be good. Especially, you know, certainly hot water and the dryer and all that kind of thing would also increase the likelihood of killing virus particles. Plus, they just get washed off in soap and water.
0: Anything else you would like to add?
1: Some people think that, that this, uh, the concern over this virus is overblown and they say, well, they're not going to follow the recommendations and they think everything's going to be okay. And I think, you know, one thing we can look at, you know, Boris Johnson, the prime minister of England thought that everything was going to be okay and thought it was safe. Now he's in the hospital and he's in intensive care. And um, so people really do need to take this seriously. They shouldn't just brush it off and assume that they're going to be okay.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Rachel Roper, who is the Associate Professor of Microbiology and Immunology at ECU's Brody School of Medicine, where she specializes in virology, genomics, and vaccines. Dr. Roper, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Stay home, stay safe, wear a mask if you go out.
0: Well, that is it for this episode of Talk Like a Pirate. We hope Dr. Roper's information will help you as we continue to navigate these uncertain times. Thank you so very much for taking your time to listen to us. Until we meet again, we hope you stay safe and healthy. And don't forget, always be yourself. Unless you can be a pirate, then always be a pirate.